Welcome back to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm Stephen Conway. With me, as always, Jeremy Finestone. We are contributors to the Fight Game Media Network. We are now four days into Best of the Super Juniors 30. This has been an absolutely wonderful tournament, but we have a full schedule of things to talk about today on the show. We have Yeah, we do. The past shows from Best of the Super Juniors. We have the future shows coming up. Resurgence is coming up this week. There has just been so much going on. We talked about it last week that we were going to hit the ground running, and we will. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about. Now, at least the shows have been here. good, man, right? At least yeah. the shows have been freaking great. <laughs> They've really been wonderful. And Colin and Brad are here. We're glad to see you guys. Glad for everybody that's tuning in to Hello. the show today. We're, we're happy to see you all. And very, very general thoughts before we plunge into all this here, Jeremy. The first four shows have been wonderful. This has yes. just been so much fun. And the tournament has a lot of variation. It has a lot of variety. It has a little bit of everything. They've done a wonderful, we've done wonderful work on that. But the thing that stands out to me the most are the new guys. The four people that are having their first tournaments have blended in beautifully. Kevin Knight, Leo Rush, Mike Bailey, Dan Maloney. These guys, last year we saw Ace Austin and Alex Zane, who were both really good. I think this year it's even better and maybe by a good distance because uh, we're seeing some very special stuff here. And we have the veterans who are all having good tournaments. Uh, there, there really haven't been very many bad matches at all. And we've seen 40 of them so far. And I probably have enjoyed 38 of them. What do you think? I'm, I'm just having a blast. I'm guessing you're giving it two thumbs up right now. <laughs> yeah, I I too am giving it two thumbs up. It, they, the shows have been crisp. The matches have not gone longer that they needed to. They've told the stories that they needed to. The booking for the tournament itself, I, we got the layout for how the matches have been progressing. We'll go through it as we go. But there seems to be logic to all of this. And uh, some days it's one person's game to win, and other days they're just it's not Kevin Knight or Clark Connor or whoever it is. There's, there's just there's something in here for everybody to enjoy. The shows haven't gone longer than three hours. If you need to fast forward in between, you've got two hour shows. Highly recommend jumping into this uh, Best of the Super Juniors. But if you can't, we're here to catch up. It's true. And this has been uh, really interesting with the way it's been booked. Everybody seems to have something to do. Everyone has their own little mini stories, even if they aren't in contention. And I'm thinking about how uh, Yo, for instance, has been using other people's trademark moves in his matches. Other guys from Hantai and Chaos. You've got uh, Clark Connors with his own thing going there with uh, that we're going to talk about in a little while. We've got... Uh, Ryusuke Taguchi deciding he's going to play it straight and not clown around. At least for a little while. <laughs> but everybody has something going. And we've seen Kushida, who I feel like, uh, when we're going to talk about his progression in this tournament, which I feel like is about to pick up, you know, started rough, but his whole thing is grappling. He's using the jiu-jitsu that he worked on a lot because WWE wasn't using him most weeks. So he had a lot of time to train, but he's using more grappling techniques in his matches. And even the people that we don't expect to be involved in the semifinals and the finals have something going on. And it, it's made for a very entertaining, fast-paced tournament. And, uh, yeah, I just – I'm really, really impressed with the work that they're doing with it. So Brad Ryder writes, I haven't been blown away by Baloney, but the other three 
debuts have been outstanding. Debutantes. Debutantes, apparently, yes. I wasn't sure how to, how to pronounce it, so I just went with the debuts. The, 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 way, the, the, the simple man's way of saying it. Uh, <laughs> Maloney, I, I was speaking with a writer about this earlier, but he's a little bit of a cipher, and I, I, I don't get what he is just yet other than a guy in the United Empire. So we shall see what that is. But um, let me ask you this. Are we going to start with the tallies up to this point? Or I should we just start at the beginning? Well, let's start at the beginning. Let's roll through these things. Then we'll get to the where the, the standings are at the end, if that's all right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about resurgence. We're going to be talking some news and notes. And there was something before we get into these, though, uh, Jeremy, uh, hmm. you wanted to mention something. And I wanted to get it out of the way because I'm worried that we're going to run out of time. at the end. Oh, okay. But, you know, the whole thing about coming up, we're going to be having historic, uh, not historic crossover, excuse me, but Forbidden Door. We're going to be having this Wembley Stadium show. You had some interesting thoughts, I thought, on how Kazuchika Okada might be involved in this. And we didn't get a chance. Jeremy and I don't talk in heavy detail off the air between shows because we want to keep it fresh while we're on here. So he hasn't shared all for the show, bro. (laughs) Exactly. So tell me what you're thinking as far as uh, with the Don Callis turn, you're thinking Kenny Omega might recruit Okada to help him. So you, you've ever seen the meme of Charlie from it's always sunny in Philadelphia with the poster board and all the connective tissues. And he's just got his head right here. And he's just like, do you see what I see? That's oh, that's from I, I didn't know that. I know that meme, but I didn't know it was from Always Sunny. Yes, I've never yes. watched Always Sunny. <laughs> uh, you either seen it or you haven't. And uh, yeah. I understand if you haven't seen it, it's not for everybody. But there, there's a lot going on here. So I got this image right here, but I'm going to pull this other quote up that came out with Sports Illustrated yet today, actually. In an interview with Sports Illustrated that was published on Tuesday, Omega left the door open to team with Okada again. Omega said he had fun working with Okada at New Year's Dash and wouldn't mind having his back in the future. The exact quote, I wouldn't be so quick to scratch his name off the list of guys I wouldn't help. Our match together was a wild card draft. It was a fun time. It felt to me like we had our thing. Our thing is done. I've said it before. Okada is very sharp. He is who he is for a reason. I had a lot of fun teaming with him in New Japan and Dash. So I wouldn't strike that off the list of potential people who I wouldn't mind having there. Okay. So, what do we have at Resurgence? We have a six-man match with Okada, Rocky Romero, and Ishii versus Wheeler Yuta, Shota Umino, and John Moxley. Probably to set up something in Dominion, we're thinking. Correct. But there is a stopping point on the way of Double or Nothing in which John Moxley also presumably may be having a match with Kenny Omega. And in the past, that match has been a five-on-five, and we have not quite figured out who the fifth man might be on either side. So if we were to look into Double or Nothing and think maybe that was a precursor to Forbidden Door in another way in which we might see Moxley and Okada you know, face off in some way, shape, or form after their Dominion match in which they have a title match, in which Tanahashi, Ishii, and Okada will be facing Moxley, Shota Umino, and a player to be named. There is a lot on the board here that could give someone the idea that Okada could be in play for AEW programming sooner rather than later, and it might not just be for Forbidden Door. What do you think about that? 
I, I mean, I'm interested to see it. I think that can go a lot of different ways. Uh, the you know, a lot of it depends on the New Japan schedule and how that all is going to pan out. But it could. I mean, it, it's. Um, I would like to see Okada in a bigger spot than just being the fifth guy in a ten man tag uh, match there. But uh, it's it's something that might work out. And you know, we'll we'll have to see how it turns out. I mean, they're they're going somewhere with Don Callis and. Uh, right. Omega, of course, that's going to be a big feud. I'm sure Callus is going to be recruiting people to send after Kenny. So uh, that won't be Okada, but it could be uh, various other uh, people that might involve some New Japan talent. So who knows? We, um, so we'll earlier in the year, we out. talked and we thought that Osprey, Omega, Okada, and Jay White would all be doing this dance with each other throughout the year. Jay White, for some reason, way shaping for him, taken off that board. But, you know, you could have Moxley in there instead. But all these things, there might be leading to bigger things here or there. This could just be the beginning of Okada's longer involvement, given that he's not in the main event picture of New Japan Pro Wrestling right now. That could be the reason. And uh, using him as uh, as a main focus with AEW and the cooperation that's heading this summer, it makes a lot of sense to me. So let's keep our eyes open on that, because that's just kind of my wild, crazy theories of everything that could be happening. All right, we're about to get into Super Junior's big time now, so just something to keep in mind for everybody. This will be available as a podcast. Uh, whether you're on uh, YouTube, make sure you subscribe to us. Uh, if you're on a podcast, uh, give us a little bit of feedback. Five-star review always helps people find the show, so any help in that direction is uh, appreciated. And uh, check out other stuff on the Fight Game Media Network as well. we got a lot of good, uh, good shows out there for you, so just a little reminder there and some housekeeping before we continue. Now, Thank you for this- all the rates and reviews. Yes, definitely. So now we got to get into best of Super Junior. So <laughs> this is going to be just like uh, Super Juniors is a bit of a turbo boost uh, show. This is going to uh, shows these are going to be the same for us. We have to get through these quickly. There's a lot to do here, but we're going to uh, cover our favorite stuff. So it began on Corican Hall, the best of Super Juniors 30 and uh, packed in 1,401 in Corican Hall on the 12th. And the first match of the whole tournament was Clark Connors and Kevin Knight. There it is on your screen if you're uh, watching on YouTube. And Clark Connors, of course, now with Bullet Club and with Ghetto at ringside. Now, that's something not everybody at Bullet Club gets. Uh, they, and so it shows you that they're taking this very seriously. Similar to Finlay, he's working a more aggressive style. And he has a brain buster move that's called the No Chaser now. And uh, this that's how he defeated Kevin Knight to open up the tournament. He got the first two points of the tournament and then afterwards beat down Kevin Knight with a chair uh, just to set up both his viciousness <laughs> and to put a little bit of weakness into Kevin Knight for uh, people to exploit going forward. But a uh, nice start to the tournament, nine minutes, 20 seconds there. And we were off and running. A recurring theme is Court Connors is going to be using uh... – using that chair in a number of ways after matches. He's been my nickname, the Spearmint Rhino, and I'm going to get it out there right now. He is my pick to potentially win this whole thing. So when we discuss him, keep that in mind. Brad mentions, uh, and we're going to get to the other comments too, as, as they kind of, as we get to the matches that they're talking about. Am I the only one thinking the No Chaser looks too close to Death Rider? It's a Death Rider. 
<laughs> it's pretty much the Death Rider. Yeah, you're right. And there are only so many moves, I guess. But there, are, there have been some innovations in this one, and we'll get to it. First really, really good match of the tournament, I thought, though, was the next one. It was Taiji Ishimori and Ryusuke Taguchi. Now, like I mentioned, that Taguchi has, for whatever reason, sworn he's going to play it straight out of respect to the tournament. We'll see how long that lasts. But uh, no clowning. And i tell you what, the fans in Cork and Hall were there for it. They were kind mm -hmm. of excited at the idea. I've mentioned it before. There was the uh, serious match Taguchi and the clown Taguchi in the past. We haven't seen serious match Taguchi much at all. And we're getting it here. This was a good match. It was only three minutes and 45 seconds, but it was really good. And uh, the fans seem to enjoy this version of it. Taguchi uh, just pretty much dominated this thing all the way. Uh, but uh, through a little twist of fate, he ended up in the bone lock for a submission and lost. But three minutes, 45 seconds, and I think probably three and a half minutes of it was Taguchi on top. Uh, he was pretty much dominating this one, but it, it looked it looked good. And I think the fans were into it and it set the tone. So uh, Ishimori having a strong tournament so far. We're going to talk about that. And uh, that was Taguchi. A lot, of, a lot of reminders that Ishimori had a super strong 2022 and hasn't been defeated all that much. So he's going to take a few losses, and when he does in the Super Juniors, it's going to be kind of a big deal. As for Taguchi, you know, he may not win a whole lot, but if his story is just regaining a little bit of respect from the crowd, from the just the kind of BS that he's had in the past, and he gets to a, a somewhat serious base again, that's a net positive for everybody involved. And uh, I hope that that is the story that we have with him. There we go. And the next one was Dan Maloney and getting his first win. Of course, you know, the new guys needed to go over early just to establish that they were uh, worth something there because not very few people in New Japan, including me, really knew a lot about Maloney. I can't say that I know a ton about him either. And Colin has the point. Yeah, I have no clue who Maloney is. He's a terrific British wrestler. He's good at what he does. It's a very tough league he has just entered right here i mean he's he jumps in there with guys like uh desperado and hiromu takahashi and ishimori and then you have like mike bailey who made a bigger uh first impression i think than maloney did last year to be fair alex zane had a bad first match didn't think it was very good at all and then he picked up momentum as the tournament went on he got used to the style maybe the jet lag and all that stuff cleared up for him and by the end of it, Zane was doing really well. I think we're going to see that at Maloney as he gets more comfortable in the New Japan ring and the New Japan style. He got a win over Bushi in his first match. In he has a gore, a spear, uh, that is apparently gifted to him by Rhino himself. So there you have it. You, got, you can't get a bigger endorsement on a spear than Rhino. And then he has a move that looks like the old school backbreaker uh back before backbreakers were torture racks when you just kind of heaved them over your shoulder and then he drops it into a pile driver which is a pretty devastating looking move it's a good it's called the killer driller yeah he's the driller dan maloney uh it's a good looking move he gave it to bushi and won he uh he to me looks like a mean version of rick martell and i think <laughs> he might actually be as tall as him uh <laughs> he's got he's got a lean frame he's a blank slate to me yeah like there there's yeah. I, I don't know what I need to see from him to develop an opinion, but right now he, he's cardboard and he's talented. He, he's a good looking piece of cardboard. Like he's a good talented piece of cardboard, but there, I don't have any reason to be invested right now. Like there's no, there's nothing in addition to what he is giving to me as a guy really trying to prove he belongs there. 
and he needs to just belong there. I don't know if that makes any sense. He's a guy in the tournament, right? And there has yes. to be those guys in the tournament there. Not everybody is going to be uh, either at the top or the bottom. Uh, he's probably going to finish one of these guys that gets there and has a, a either a winning record by one match or a losing record by one match, you know, five and four, four and five type of guy. And But that's fine. He's going to get the right people, the right points, and he'll take away points from the correct people at the right time. Right but- now, he's a guy that he's trying to prove that he belongs to the dance and everyone's already decided he does. Yeah. But you know, the, the, his job, I thought about this before the tournament, mm-hmm. they need to get Mike Bailey wins because no one really knew who he was True. Uh, in, in new Japan. And they were going, but they had an idea of taking him seriously. So he needs wins. Kevin Knight and Don Maloney. I think Dan Maloney just have to have good matches. I think that will help yeah. their career in new Japan more than anything else. Just have good matches. They don't have to win them. Uh, in order to further their careers with New Japan, they just have to perform well. And uh, I think Bailey needs more than that. I think Bailey, if he just came in and went five and four, he would be impressive. But then everyone mm-hmm. just kind of go, eh. uh, you know, he kind of finished in the middle of the pack. You know, I, I, so I think he needs the victories, booking wise. Whereas sure. I think Maloney and Knight can lose, and as long as they wrestle well, it will help them a lot. So, and and then we already know that Leo Rush is going to be in this to the very end. We knew that sure. before the tournament. We sure as hell know it after the four shows we've seen. The other the other thing with Maloney is that I just may need to see him have reps with the other United Empire guys. He came mm-hmm. in, we were all told he was a United Empire guy, but he does the hand movement and it just doesn't feel like I've seen it incorporated into the big picture and until I see that, maybe there's just a disconnect for me. Maybe he's doing great. Who and knows? some. Some of it is like his first three matches, you know, Kanemaru, Bushi, Yo, who are all fine, capable workers, but he hasn't had the match with the guy yet no, either. No, so uh, I think his best matches in this tournament are still to go because a lot of that has to do with who your opponent is. And most of the mm-hmm. best wrestlers, very best wrestlers in that block are still to come for Maloney. Yeah. So I think we're going to see his better performances as he rolls along. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking the patient route, especially after Alex Zane uh, last year, who got off to that rough start and then yep. improved. Whatever. Doki and Kushida, boy, this was really good. Uh, eight minutes and thirty-two seconds. And the thing about this one, Kushida, like I said, knows that he can't fly with Kevin Knight and Leo Rush. He doesn't have that speed anymore, that type of thing. But he knows he's a great worker. He also has something that other people don't, which is that MMA type of training. He's been doing the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu heavy right there. So he's brought a lot of that into his best of Super Juniors game. And it is really made for a nice little bit of varieties. You have this these kind of ground-based matches in a tournament where he used to just see air show after air show after air show. I like this a lot. And I think this match was terrific. He used a ton of grappling here. It was almost all submission and grappling between these two. The crowd was actually very much behind Doki in this match. Mm -hmm. And Kushida played to it. And there were a couple of moments in there where I thought, you know what? He ain't a bad heel, actually. He was a completely different personality than I've seen him in a very long time. Between NFT and what he's been doing, kind of like, I don't want to say spinning his wheels, but he's not been in the main event scene much in the junior heavyweight division. Uh, and this feels like the first time they just, they put a spotlight on Kushida uh, mm. as Kushida in a very, very long time. And what we saw was uh, a mean old man Kushida 
<laughs> it was. And then uh, Doki managed to sneak the victory on top of it. Kind of got a flash pin. We did a roll up and got him there. And so that contributed to the story, too, of Kushida having a slow start, which I do not think is going to have a slow finish. I think Kushida is going to be the uh, spoiler role this year in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. But, uh, yeah, this was a terrific match. So this one was uh, really the first one. I mean... The Ishimori Taguchi match I thought was very good, but it was telling the story of that Taguchi's not clowning. As far as just the first really good wrestling match of the tournament, uh, there, like I said, there aren't any bad ones, for, uh, or maybe a couple that, but that's due to booking more than anything else. But uh, this was the first really, really good one. I, I enjoyed this eight minutes thirty-two seconds there. So, and uh, Colin did too. Said Doki Kushida was great. I agree. He also said it's a shame that Speedball and Rush can't be permanent additions to the New Japan roster. And, uh, well, I agree, especially about uh, Bailey. He's been really good. But I think Leo is close to that. I think we're yeah, going to see Leo think a lot. He's as, I think he's as close as you're going to get to, like, locked in to that company right now. That... Yeah. Maybe not Zack Sabre Jr. moving to Japan permanent. But, uh, you know, the he's I feel like he's at Tamatonga level of tied to that company. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, could be. It's, it's such a great spot for him. It's a place where Absolutely. his talents are appreciated. And his size doesn't work against him, which it certainly would with anything owned by anyone named McMahon. And even in AEW, and AEW is going to be an interesting thing right now because you can get lost in the shuffle in AEW, but they're about to get two more hours of television nationally. So, uh, you know, AEW is an interesting spot, but even then the size thing, like in New Japan, it's not an issue at all. Not an issue at all. So he, he can really shine here in a way he ha he struggles to in North America. So, and we're about to get to him here in a little bit. But first, we get to Master Wato and Francesco Akira. Uh, this was uh, pretty good, too. Now, here's a guy here, man, Akira, having a heck of a tournament. Just everything he touches is good. Uh, we talked about his finisher. The, the knee yeah. to the back of the head. Just the, yeah, it's it's a meteora uh, to the back of the head. and uh, he, didn't, he didn't get it in this one, but... Uh, that would make him Michael Cole's favorite wrestler. Remember when Michael Cole was calling like five or six different moves meteoras? He just liked oh, yeah. saying it so much. He just was, <laughs> was going to say it. Was, it. it was his was a meteora. call for the women's wrestling. She hit a meteora! <laughs> it's a meteora. It's, it's not a meteora, Mike. It's not. Uh, just like all of a sudden, he he gets into those grooves. Where just, like Remember how almost everything was an acai moonsault for a while because he figured out how to say acai? And he was so excited, he just said it all the time. We're like, it's not an eyesight. It's, it's a cabrata to the outside of the ring. It's a cabrata to the outside. He doesn't know what a cabrata is. <laughs> but Master Wado defeated Francesco Akira in this one. Got Resentimente, which I don't think I'm pronouncing right. I try. It's just a tough one. To re resentimente? Uh, but anyway, that's the uh, pinning combination that he has. He caught Akira in it uh, for uh, a bit of a surprise. But most of the match was Akira... Uh, being one step ahead of Watto, but Watto always kind of staying out of it. And, uh, you know, I we talked about how Watto, we thought, stepped up at Wrestle Kingdom and did a good job. There is still a gap between Watto and the very top guys. And Colin kind of has it again. Someone tell me why Watto is always near the top of the card in these shows. I don't get it. They do seem to be putting him a little bit deeper in the card than they used to. He used to be kind of in the opening couple matches. And I think it's just because, you know, Ghetto sees something in him. And I, but I mean, this was a good performance. I thought it was pretty good. I, I don't have a problem with it, but I understand that there is still a bit of a gap between him and the very top guys. 
there's going to come a point where Wado's going to move out of the junior heavyweight division and he's going to move into the heavyweight division and he's going to be in the middle of the card just like he's in the middle of the junior heavyweight card. And to be in the junior middle of that roster means you have to be exceptionally good because there are so many people after your spot. Even if he's not showing it on a night-to-night basis, Master Wado has all the credentials to be on that roster and being in the middle of the road in that place. He may not be a guy that's going to be sought after in AEW or WWE or anything like that, but he has the potential to carry the division if he is given that responsibility. And there could be circumstances that lead to that, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily at the point of wondering why he's in the position, because I think that when he's been asked to step up, especially with Kushida getting the hand, foot, and mouth disease, uh, he more than delivered. Up next, we had uh, Leo Rush against Show, and this now, okay, <laughs> let's no, talk no, about no. it. We got, dude, we got to talk about house torture here. And so, uh, Colin wants to disband them. I wouldn't argue with you on that one. Uh, it, it's very frustrating, isn't it? It's he, let's talk about what they're doing. Mostly short matches, thank God. Evil is on this tour for reasons known only to himself. And he has been attacking Show's opponents. He's been interfering in the matches. He's basically been the manager in this whole thing. And uh, there's a lot of wrench stuff. There's a lot of just silliness. And we're going to get to some that really went over the top with Hiromu right there. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, So far, Leo was able to overcome both of them. Uh, They uh, Let's see, how did they do it here? There's just a lot of of uh, evil distracting the referee but he managed to lure show into crashing into evil keystone cop style uh he show ended up shoving the referee into leo which allowed evil to come in and double team him but leo countered by doing a little back kick between the legs to uh, evil as evil was holding leo rush so he ended up taking a shot uh below the belt and then he managed to get the wrench away, hit them both with the wrench, and then hit a coup de grace for the victory. So on top of these kind of plotting, not particularly well-executed referee finishes, there's uh, it's not even working all that much for a show, which is part of the story that it doesn't particularly work. But, uh, you know, it was... Uh, oh, there it is. I mean, that, it, the matches that I didn't enjoy in this tournament, they all had two things in common. It was show and evil. The, the takeaway of this was they booked Leo Rush to be a main event babyface win. No amount of bullshit was going to get in his way from defeating these two guys. And that was a Cena-level uh, aspect of overcoming the odds. So just think about that, when how they're positioning Leo Rush in this whole thing. Brad has a pegged here. He said that uh, you mentioned that the shows are coming in at under three hours, uh, thankfully, because these are pretty fast paced shows, not particularly long uh, matches just because they have to get through 10 of them in a night. And, uh, and that's helped the cards, but Brad mentions the shows are even faster if you fast forward through the house of torture match. So there you go. You can get a lot done there. So uh, very true. So after that, we're going to move along quickly here. Uh, We have, uh, Robbie Eagles and Yo, uh, these two actually really mesh. This is a good mm-hmm. match. Went 13 minutes. Uh, Robbie is uh, working the leg a lot because he has gone all in on the Ron Miller as his killer move, and it's a good-looking one. And, you know, he hit a also has a shining wizard knee in there, too. So there's always the threat of the Ron uh, Miller special. Then he has this kind of a strike, the shining wizard with the knee. Uh, but uh, this is a, a real good match, and it was – 
you know, even through most of it. And Yo is working on finding his edge, and there's been some progress made. I'm not going to say he's all the way there, but there's been some progress made in Yo getting a bit of an edge to him. This was one of the matches that was good, but I think that they both had better matches later on in their campaign. So yeah. uh, if you need to move through matches, this one is skippable if you're not a completist and you can move on to the next. We're going to go to the next one, which was Teton and TJP. And this was the first air show of the tournament in the eighth mm-hmm. match here. There was a lot of jumping, diving, and uh, flipping in this one. It was very entertaining. Only seven minutes, 12 seconds, though. Teton caught him with uh, that submission that he does, which is the leg lock where he bridges back and then pulls on the neck. And, uh, yeah, I, interesting thing to me here something that has gone through this tournament tjp showed sportsmanship afterwards gave him a grudging handshake tjp's not really working heel uh, while his partner francesco akira still has that kind of a snotty heel attitude to him a little uh, thing there so a contrast between tjp and akira and i'm not saying that they're any dissension they're just working mm-hmm. differently tjp is not working heel the way akira is in this one but uh real good and you know teton knows what uh, his timing is terrific with some of his spots and his uh, flips and dives and TJP is very smooth in the ring. So, uh, you know, fun seven minutes here. I really enjoyed it. Teton and TJP work surprisingly well together. I think Teton is going to have a really good campaign. Uh, yeah. Go ch- make sure you don't miss this one. Uh, they're, they're a good sampling of what they both have to offer. And then this one, of course, former tag team partners, former junior tag team champions, Yoshinobu Kanemaru and El Desperado, 14 minutes here. And they played the match that they knew each other very, very well. That was how they worked it. A lot of spots working to the stretch muffler, the numero dos, as he calls it. Uh, he also has been using the Guitarra de Angel a lot, his kind of version of the Blue Thunder Bomb. Uh, and that's been a big part of Desperado's matches in this tournament. He attempted Pinche Loco here, but Kanemaro turned that back into a figure four. And, of course, Kanemaro has developed a very effective figure four, and it's been booked to be very effective. He has a lot of ways to get in and out of it because he's a veteran and he knows all these different combinations. And this played into it very nicely. An attempt at the Pinche Loco, but Kanemaro grabs the leg, manages to turn it into a figure four. Desperado had to tap out. We warned everybody, Jeremy, upset special <laughs> right here. And sure enough, they did it. And not only that, they, similar to Kevin Knight, planted the seeds for a weakened leg on El Desperado, just to put him in a little bit more jeopardy against some people he may have been heavily favored against. I do believe this was the first time that if you wanted to play the Kevin Kelly calls a submission a business decision drinking game, this is the <laughs> first time that you would uh, that you would be taking a shot. Desperado tapped out in a match that he normally wouldn't because it was the first match in his campaign and it was a business decision to keep himself healthy. I like the logic. Yeah, and and it's going to play into future matches as well. So then we had Mike Bailey and Hiromu Takahashi. Boy, (laughs) you know, if you're going to make a first impression, make this one. This was fantastic. And of course, Hiromu Takahashi is one of the best workers in the world. But this was just great. And this was the other upset special we talked about. We just thought, you know, they're going to launch Bailey. And, of course, they like to put the favorites behind the eight ball a little bit. This also played into something that's going to come in in a, co- in a couple of matches later for Hiromu Takahashi. But this was a lot of fun. 
all Bailey shine very early. So they were going to show everybody exactly what Bailey can do by having him sort of dominate the early part of the match against Hiromu and the crowd enjoyed it. He does have, and it's put best awkward charisma. There's just something strange about the dude, but it works, doesn't it? It just works, doesn't it? Not too many people can pull off the mullet either, by the way, and he's doing it. Uh, I'm so, not sure he pulled it off, but we're just going to keep there's, there's something about it. I'm, I'm, I'm here with it. It's divisive. I'm here with it. Strikes, kicks, flips, everything. He, he, he threw everything at Hiromu here, trying to impress the crowd at Corican, and he did the job. Uh, he countered a time bomb, uh, so they threw everything at the Corican crowd. Uh moonsault from inside the ring to Hiromo on the outside. I love that move. So he'll jump up to like the middle rope inside the ring, moonsault to his opponent standing next to the ring outside of it, and it looks cool every time. And he's very accurate with it. He's, he's, it's a really good move there. And uh, that'll become a staple and a hit throughout the tournament. We're going to see that a lot. Hiromo dynamite plunger for two on this one. They traded near falls. Bailey won a kicking exchange. He does a really cool thing where his opponent is in the corner and he will do two spins into a kick to the head. And again, his accuracy is impressive. This guy's pretty precise with these moves that could uh, go a little bit wild, but they don't seem to. He seems to be very, very precise and accurate with this, which is good because he's kicking people in the head. And then he has this move called the ultimate weapon, which is a shooting star press to the knees where he lands on his knees uh, on the, the opponent, which can't feel great, but looks terrific. He got the win over Hiromu Takahashi. So bad. <laughs> and boy, he, this guy's really good. And and Bailey made a really good impression. We knew Mike's good, you know, but uh, seeing him in there with Hiromu, and uh, I was very gratified. It was a gratifying feeling to see him make this good of a first impression. And he's going to be a big part of this tournament. This looks the biggest match he's ever had in his life, correct? Yeah, like, yeah probably. Yeah. Impact, GCW, Indies, maybe Mexico. Like the most eyeballs at one time watching him in a in a big scenario main event. This might have been it for him. And boy, welcome to the show. You delivered. Uh, and I have to say, Paul Fontaine might make a liar out of me because he thought Speedball could win this whole thing. And while I don't think so, I can't completely rule it out. So mm-hmm. that's how good of a performance that uh, Speedball had is that he made me a believer in the fact that even if he doesn't win it, he could win it. Backstage comments, Kushida chased uh, Ghetto and Connors out of the interview area because he was pissed off that they assaulted his tag team partner. And then we also heard from Doki and Kushida. They had the same trainer in Mexico, which I was unaware of. They actually worked with the same people sometimes in Mexico. And Kushida said he had a lot of respect for Doki, which is something that's been a bit of a theme lately. A lot of people giving Doki their props. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later because Hiromu Takahashi told the story about it as well, uh, about how Doki persevered through uh, the uh, wonders and wiles of Mexican independent wrestling, which is a pretty rough road that he managed to uh, navigate on the way to New Japan. So, yeah, there you go. And uh, there's uh, for the folks watching here, there's the B block after night one. So that go ahead, then we can move on to the next one. Yeah, and we're going to pick up the pace here a little bit. We can't talk this much about each one, but uh, we wanted to cover some of the early uh, impressions that we had. On the 13th, they went to Nagano, uh, home of the Winter Olympics, that one year there, not too long ago. Attendance here was uh, 702. Uh, TJP was on uh, commentary for this one after working his match early, and he was excellent. He was great so on commentary. Really was. A lot of good. There have been a lot of good people on commentary. It's, it's funny that if you just let people flow, 
and you don't yell at them in their ears constantly. They there are a lot of Jeez. guys in wrestling that can contribute a lot. <laughs> and Kevin Kelly even mentioned it. He joked about, "Hey, there's no one yelling in our headsets right now." So it just shows you that it, it can. Uh, it, it can there are a lot of people. Aside, mm-hmm. Brief aside, a lot of credit to Kevin Kelly because he has multiple dance partners and he is mm-hmm. able to work with everybody and have a like clear, concise broadcast, getting the points across and getting the people on the microphone with him also across. And we opened this one with a terrific match. Colin agreed. He said this match was awesome. I agree with you, Colin. Uh, TJP and Kushida, this was uh, uh, just under 10 minutes. More grappling between these two, but just really, really good, smooth wrestling by two guys. And, of course, you know TJP's been around longer than people realize sometimes, like, you know, 20-year veteran almost, really. And, uh, yeah, these two are like butter, and they just moved in and out of each other's holes right there. And TJP, again, similar to the story in Kushida's first match with Doki, he managed to get an inside cradle just as it looked like Kushida might get him into a submission hold to tap him out. So he managed to escape with the win right there. So Kushida's system not paying off as of yet with as the story goes but uh he gets a win here uh t- just a terrific match and uh really enjoyable to uh, open this show really setting up a lot of contenders for the junior heavyweight tag title scene after yeah. the junior heavyweight tournament An- another another trope of ghetto's booking of course ghetto being the booker for new japan wrestling in addition to uh, manager there's one block where there's a haves and a have nots, so to speak, where there's a couple of people that are scoring a lot of points and you don't know who's going to come out of it. And then the other block is just a mess. It's just everybody's within a couple of points of everybody else. We're starting to see some of that here in this uh, tournament as well. Connie Morrow and uh, Dan Maloney. Uh, another quick one, five minutes, 42 seconds. And another example of Connie establishing his bona fides with that figure four where he slipped it on Maloney kind of out of nowhere right there, the wily veteran uh, outfoxing the younger one. And uh, they also mentioned that Kanemaru uh, struggled with new people last year, like the, the, the people that were new to the tournament and people that he was unfamiliar with. But this year he manages to get the jump on uh, Maloney. And it's part of the story of just five guys revitalizing the career yes. of Kanemaru and making him a bit of a stronger contender here. So yeah, good stuff. Random thought as you were talking about this. I don't have much to add, but do you think that Kanemaru should rename his finisher to the figure five? <laughs> Maybe you should. Maybe you should. That's an interesting thing. There's already a figure eight. Charlotte has that. Uh, good, okay. He's just five guys. It's the figure five. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's not bad. <laughs> uh, Leo Rush defeated Taguchi. Uh, you know, Taguchi got some stuff in, but this is mostly just Rush out quicking him there and uh, going into the story again. No more clowning from Taguchi in this one. And just it went, for the sake. Uh, uh, went about five minutes longer than it needed to. <laughs> uh, Robbie Eagles then defeated Clark Connors. Now this was uh, a, a bit of a surprise here, uh, and not the yeah, not the looks- result totally, but uh, just kind of how it ended up happening, I guess. Uh, Eagles got the Ron Miller special right out of the gate after Connors jump started him. Did, uh, Eagles didn't really sell that long. He kind of got back into the the groove with that. Uh, Ron Miller special. It was a fun match though. And Connors ended up hitting two spears and it looked like it was all over. And then ghetto was verbally calling for no chaser from outside the ring. No chaser, no chaser. You could hear him. And uh, by the way, as always uh, ghetto cursing in English, a highlight of any new Japan show. A a lot of that as well. And, uh, but Connors got cocky, didn't listen to ghetto. 
And the uh, Eagles ended up wrapping him up in a Kuma roll, basically, to win it. If you're a stardom fan, you know that's Kaguma's finisher right there. Uh, Brad agrees with us that TJP on commentary for this one was really good. And uh, he hadn't gotten to commentary quite yet. Kevin was handling this himself. But he enjoyed the whole uh, Connors gets cocky and gets uh, beaten by Eagles there suddenly. Very interesting that the way that they booked it was that Robbie barely escaped with his life in this match. Uh, yeah, they, they kept Connor strong, didn't they? This, yes, yeah. yes. And uh, I've, been, I've been paying attention to the visual cues here and there and looking at that bracket. And these are, these are two guys that are going to matter when it comes to the final night. Of the two spots available, they will both be fighting for a spot. It seems very clear to me. Next one is another match that's worth going out of your way to see. Francesco, Akira, and – oh, wait, did I miss one? Uh, maybe, maybe I, I did. I did. Mike Bailey defeated show, uh, in the next, and this is another one, uh, that basically followed the exact same pattern of the night before, uh, evil with a sneak attack and interference, but Bailey overcame it all, knocked over both of them, hit his ultimate weapon move and won. So, uh, basically the same match as the night before, just with Mike <laughs> Bailey instead of Leo. If you if you have the YouTube graphic, I keep laughing every time I see show, and yeah. it's just wide eyed like I am insane, and I am going to wrestle a match with you. Okay, it's like he man. took he took both MDMA and meth before taking that photograph. Is what it looks like. <laughs> He's so. like, you want to see a house of torture? I'll show you a house of torture. <laughs> Francesco Akira and Kevin Knight was up next. This was a match you should should go out of the way to see. The Bailey match was show. Bailey did what he could. Uh, Francesco Akira and Kevin Knight. This one was terrific, though. Uh, eight minutes, 40 seconds. Back and forth. This really could be the future of junior heavyweight wrestling right here between the two of these guys. Both very, very young. Both have everything. They can this talk. This could be the future of wrestling, my friend. They have attitude. They have their characters down. They have charisma. I, I can't think of anything these guys don't have. There's things they can polish, but there isn't anything they really can't do. And uh, this is just fantastic. Uh, Akira ended up hitting that fireball move, the double knees to the back of the head to win. How old is Akira again? Uh, 23. 23? Sure. 23. Yeah. Knight isn't all that old either. So. No. Yeah, a lot of great Potential. Stuff. Everything in the future. <laughs> so good. Uh, one of the highlights of this, of, this, uh, of this show. After that, we had Taiji Ishimori getting a win over Teton. This was another excellent match. Uh, Ishimori worked the shoulder a lot, of course, because of that bone lock move, and he did manage to tap Teton out with it. Nine minutes, 24 seconds, and Teton got a lot of his stuff in as well. Yeah, you know, Ishimori can work just about any style, so a luchador is no problem for him. He knows how to make Teton shine. He really did. And then got him into that bone lock after having laid the groundwork with the shoulder uh, work earlier on by ramming him into the post and things like that. So uh, good stuff, and it puts Ishimori on a winning streak to open the tournament. Good stuff, man. Let's keep moving. El Desperado and Bushi. These two, we've watched these guys wrestle each other probably a thousand times. Uh, of all the matches they had, this was one of them. And it was fine. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it was fine, but they, they were under 10 minutes. It wasn't their night to shine. They weren't in the main event. It was in the middle of the card, and they wrestled like it. Elder Sperado got the win here, too, uh, using guitar and Hell and Escalera. So uh, behind the scenes talk, these are the two guys that I will always mix up when I'm trying to talk between stables. And I'll say, <laughs> Desperado and all of a sudden and when you put them together like this it's like their masks are inverted negatives of each other in some way shape or form so a little, I bit. Feel a little bit justified on this <laughs> anyways let's move on they did not deliver a bad match 
Doki and Hiromu Takahashi did, however. Uh, this one was done with Doki working the Doki Choki several times in this. That's kind of how he say he just kept getting closer and closer to knocking Hiromu out with that Doki Choki. Hiromu ended up hitting a dynamite plunger and, as they call it, a Hiromu-chan bomber. It's the pumping bomber for, uh, from Shingo Takagi, but he calls it the Hiromu-chan bomber. Uh, Doki hit uh, two strong pumping bombers as well. So they were working pretty stiff on each other here, but this was excellent. Uh, suplex de la luna uh, which is a great looking move that uh, where he kind of has the guy in a straight jacket type of suplex with the, the the other guy's legs up wrapped around his knees and it just looks pretty devastating but that was reversed into a time bomb by hiromu for the victory and uh, gives uh, hiromu uh, off the schneid so to speak lost his first one but uh, picked up the second victory the story that the first three opponents of Hiromu in this tournament more or less have his number is a very interesting story given most of the time in the junior heavyweight division he's kind of run the table and he is not running the table at all and he may not even make it out of the bracket I, I tend to doubt that he won't but there are people that are threatening to bump him from it completely and in the main event of that night, Yo defeated Master Wado in 18 minutes, 12 seconds. Wado worked the arm. Uh, Yo worked the leg, hit the direct drive for the win. Uh, the semifinal between Hiromu and Doki was the best match of the night, but this mm -hmm. was really good. This was a strong match here. And, you know, Yo is brought up earlier. Uh, you know, Brad mentioned it. He's been showing a lot more charisma since first teaming with Leo Rush. Love to see it, says Brad. I agree. I think he also showed a little bit of an edge in this match, too. And I do think uh, teaming with Leo has helped. So he got the win there over Watto. And again, I don't think this match would have been in a main event position uh, in uh, in other years. And it probably should have been semi here uh, to Hiromu and Doki. But it was still a real good match. He did a good job. I think it was kind of a little bit of politics to make sure Yo got an end of speech opportunity at some point mm. during this tournament and, and knocking that out. Um, Yo, they mentioned it in the in the match he's been wrestling a lot looser than he, than before. Like he, his moves were very tight and every plan kind of thing. And he, he got a little bit more carefree attitude. I think that's helping with the presentation of this match as well. We're, uh, worth mentioning afterwards, by the way, Hiromu Takahashi talking about Doki. And I, I keep bringing this up, but Doki took a really hard road to through Mexico here. Being, an indie wrestler in the first place is challenging. You have to book yourself. You have to do all of your own travel. You have to keep track of absolutely everything. And for Doki to have gone to Mexico, and then you have to get a luchador license, which is not like getting a like, Kentucky State Athletic Commission when I was a manager for a short time. Uh, well, I was a manager for a long time, but not soon. <laughs> I just did the low levels of wrestling. And uh, you, you just had to fill out a form and send them 20 bucks. It was just a money-making operation for the most part. Not true of a luchador license in Mexico. You have to go through drills. You have to show that you can wrestle. Uh, you actually have to do that. It's basically an audition to get this license. He did all that without a, uh, an affiliation from a, ma a major company. He uh, worked for years on the independent circuit, just trying to find work wherever he could and getting himself booked. He would 
uh, tried to get onto the M- CMLL roster and they kept rejecting him. And Hiromu told the story after this show. He said that uh, he would call Doki on the phone and they would talk in Mexico and he would play a little game called Hiromu Tells Your Fortune. He would try to cheer Doki up by saying, in your future, I see you passing the test next time and joining us here in CMLL and, and all that. And it would kind of cheer Doki up when he just kept getting rejected through all of that. He just kept persevering and he might still be on those Indies in Mexico had El Desperado a few years ago, not broken his jaw just before super juniors. So that was why they brought him in. Desperado couldn't wrestle for a few months because he busted his jaw in a match. And all these guys that had worked in Mexico, Kushida, Desperado, Hiromu, uh, you know, kind of went to bat for Doki a little bit and got him the gig. He stuck and now he's in a, a major company where you actually get a nice bus to take you to the shows. And you don't have to go through the back roads. Crap in Mexico. For him. Don't have to work three times a night and all this. But you hear this as a pattern with people that knew him in Mexico. A lot of respect for Doki just for plowing through all that and never stopping, never quitting, never getting discouraged. And uh, it's paying off now. And he's uh, doing very well in uh, New Japan. So uh, another note from this show, both members of Catch 2-2 beat the members of the jet setters and singles matches. So that's an obvious rematch coming for that. Uh, so there you go. Uh, next up when we're, we're going to have to pick up the pace here a little bit now, uh, but Nagoya on the 14th attendance at this show was 1,599. Good crowd. It's a big building, but uh, it's a good crowd. I, w- I went back, Jeremy, this is the largest crowd for wrestling there since dragon's gate, fantastic gate in 2019. So when I was looking between the the attendances between the three nights, the last night show wasn't posted yet. I was like, "Oh, that's a big number." <laughs> 50, yeah, fifteen ninety nine, and uh, for biggest crowd in four years, and it was for a very big show for Dragon's Gate in Nagoya. There, that not just a regular one. So, uh, strong crowd for this one, and uh, we saw Kevin Knight get the win over Kanemaru. So Knight started up zero and two. Kanemaru started two and zero. Uh, Knight is banged up in the storyline, but he managed to avoid the figure four, hit a big DDT. And according to uh, what Kevin Kelly was saying and Chris Lampson, his first singles win in over 600 days. So that's the, mm. the, the plight of a young lion in New Japan Pro Wrestling, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, congratulations, Kevin Knight. At least you have a title to hold. <laughs> it will not be his last. Uh, and then after that, we had a show getting the win over Taguchi. He had to beat somebody. So this was a thing where... Um, Just explain the scenario and let's move on because there's not commentary. We don't have time to talk about <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, I mean, the referee got knocked out, of course. And so Evil jumped in and said he'll be the referee. And uh, Taguchi didn't really trust him at all on that, but Sho had also pledged that he was going to play it straight. No one believed him. And sure enough, uh, as soon as Taguchi was properly distracted... Uh, he hit a low blow, and uh, the referee came back in, counted the pin on him after that. So there it was. It was, it was exactly what you all thought it would be. <laughs> Clark Connors basically blew out Bushi in this time. Bushi got some moves in, but there was no doubt who was going to win this match. Two more points for Clark Connors in the next one. Uh, and then Wrestling we were gonna... angry after losing the last one. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, Taiji Ishimori beat Doki in a good match. Uh, do. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I got to mention this, Brett. I prefer the commentary onion to anything with House of Torture. Apparently, a box of onions showed up at the new Japan office, and Kevin Kelly commandeered one, and it's been his broadcast partner until uh, Nagoya, and uh, until uh, excuse me, Akita. It didn't go to Akita. Uh, I think it probably went bad by that point. But uh, Kevin Kelly said the onion doesn't work the small towns, only the big towns. So there you have it. So he, they had an onion at ringside. It was sitting there with a little headset on. So it was, uh, uh, he may be going a little stir crazy there, Kevin. We got to keep an eye on him. But uh, yes, uh, that was the, the commentary onion. And uh, yeah, uh, so we went on to uh, Doki and Taiji Ishimori. This was a terrific match here. This was a really good one. Uh, long uh, Doki Choki spots here. He even hit Daybreak on uh, Ishimori. Tried the suplex De La Luna, but uh, Ishimori landed the divorce court on his shoulder. And, of course, that perfectly set up the bone lock submission. So good stuff there. Taiji Ishimori off to a very strong start in this tournament. I think we may have shorted him a little bit before this tournament. They were talking about that on the broadcast as well. Everyone seems to under uh, not take him as seriously as they should. And the next one, Francesco Akira and Robbie Eagles. Terrific match here, 12 minutes. And uh, Colin just found out what TMDK stands for. Yeah, the Mighty Don't Kneel. And that's uh, Shane Haste and uh, Mikey Nichols really kind of came up with that one. And it has uh, become the name of the entire group. And, of course, Robbie Eagles, the latest member of TMDK. But uh, Akira got the best of them in this one. Uh, there were big moves all over. But this, this was, was uh, great, really good. And Eagles has become very clever in finding ways to get in and out of the Ron Miller that leg lock he has. And they all make sense and they're all good in context. His timing of them is, is excellent as well. So, uh, but in the end, he ended up succumbing to the double knees to the back of the head. And Akira's having good match after good match after good match. Yes. Their sequence of wrestling in this was really crisp. Everything just moved so flawlessly from the next to the other. When you want to talk about like a good junior heavyweight match where you're just like, show me two junior heavyweights doing their thing and it looks great. Show them this match. Similar story for Kushida as the first two matches here where he uh, grappled with uh, Teton and worked the arm, but Teton caught a big DDT off of a rebound from the ropes, then hit the double stomp, uh, the big double stomp for the win. So at this point, Kushida was 0-3, and things were looking very bleak. But uh, I, I have a feeling a turnaround is coming. And uh, yeah, But, uh, yeah, good match, but, you know, it was, it was to serve a purpose, which was put Kushida in the deep hole. And after that, we had uh, Dan Maloney and Yo. Uh, Yo, very cocky and dismissive of Maloney in this match early. Uh, had a bit, like I said, the edge thing. He was he was acting a bit uh, a bit snobby in this one. Like Maloney wasn't quite on his level, but he found he out he was. Him. <laughs> and uh, Maloney is a bigger guy, so he won the striking battle, and he led to that driller killer for a win after he hit a big gore. Uh, spear on uh, yo and yo began doing a lot of tenzan and kojima moves including kojima's catchphrase after landing the elbow in the corner and throwing the guy out so that's a little strange affectation that would continue on to his next match where he's starting to do trademark moves he also did mongolian chops this is the one where he looked like he was dressed as john cena a little bit uh, yeah as a george attitude adjustment phase in the george yes yeah that's a choice There you go. And Brad mentions the, the, the full catchphrase for TMDK, by the way. We are the mighty and the mighty don't kneel. So, yeah, there you have it. And, uh, yeah, they're cool, according to uh, Prominence Flair. So, a lot of love for TMDK. Next, TJP and Mike Bailey. Um, TJP worked a Pinoy submission a lot for this one. Bailey with a moonsault uh, knee out of a sunset attempt. So, 
TJP tried to get him in a sunset flip. Bailey turned that into a moonsault, crashing his knees down into TJP's chest. I'm glad everybody's okay with taking all these knees from this guy because those look like they hurt every single one of them. Uh, springboard DDT, a swinging DDT. So there was a lot of a uh, lot of DDT work from uh, TJP on this, and uh, I'm just enjoying all the acronyms. 2.9 count on that. And then TJP, however, missed the Mamba Splash, which is his version of a frog splash. That led to the spinning kick in the corner and a Flamingo Driver, something new from Bailey, uh, for the win on this one. Another really good match. Very, very smooth. And Bailey is getting over with every crowd he goes in front of. Uh, they both are. TJP and Mike Bailey are just... The crowd is reacting to them both almost the same way, even though TJP has been there a while. And... Can't say it's not deserved. They're uh, they're they're having a hell of a tournament, the both of them so far. Mm-hmm. Bailey, especially. Holy crap! <laughs> the next one was uh, El Desperado. This is a semifinal in Master Wato. Desperado's leg gave out early in this one. Call back to the Kanemaru Figure Four in the first match. And the story of this one, though, uh, Chris Charlton was on commentary. Oddly enough, even though this was in Nagoya, he usually only works at Tokyo's. But uh, the story of this was that Watto is brainlocked by Desperado. This is the guy he can't quite figure out. And he seems to be a little bit uh, brain screwed by him. Can't you just, there's some sort of mental block when it comes to Desperado, according to that. I will say that I think Kelly and, and Charlton are pretty rough unnecessarily on Watto at times right here. I, I think he's better than they give him credit for. That's just a little bit of a disagreement on how to perceive Watto between me and and, and them because they really do crap on him pretty hard in commentary. Uh, And it really turned up in this one here. Uh, Again, I'm not saying he's on the level of Desperado and Hiromu, but I I think he's – well, they make him sound like a clown, and I I just don't – I don't think that's fair. Uh, Code Red was turned into the Vindival. Uh, Watto got a TTD, which is an interesting form of a tombstone. Uh, But he missed the twisting dive. Uh, he managed to kick out of the guitar day on hell, but a scramble led to both of them being up on their feet. And then <laughs> Desperado just punched him in the jaw, knocked him silly. And from there, he hit the pinche loco for the win. Uh, yeah, Desperado got it 14 minutes, 10 seconds, uh, and uh, a solid win, but it got Desperado back on the up and up. I think Master Wado needs to go T. That's it. That's all I got out of this. He needs to go T to change his look, mainly because. If they're going to keep undercutting him, treating him like he's a kid's character, then he needs some kind of change. Mm. And he is deserving of more respect to that. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you with the Charlton and the Kelly criticisms. They're not warranted. And I just, what I said, of like, he just needs to stop looking like a kid's character. And if they're not going to get rid of the Watto gimmick, they need to make him look more like some type of combative wizard. I don't know, something. But like a Doctor Strange goatee might help. I know I caught you off guard with that. I saw the look on your face, but I actually had a logic to it. No, that's okay. I just, I, like I said, we, we like to keep it fresh for the show, and that's about as fresh as it gets. Uh, Leo Rush and Hiromu Takahashi. This is my favorite match of the tournament. Hiromu versus Leo. 100%. So Best far. So far. This was 18 minutes and 11 seconds of absolute sublime wrestling. We knew it was going to be. They've already had a junior title match that was wonderful, but... Uh, one of my favorite things, Leo and Hiromu fighting on the outside. He puts Hiromu in a chair at ringside. Oh. He runs all the way around the ring just to get that momentum up. Hiromu popped up and gave him the overhead belly to belly that he usually does into the corner, but he did it onto the chair. Ouch. It just looked rough. Uh, 
but it did, they did it correctly, but it, that's a rough bump. The speed of these two is incredible. Hiromu Takahashi, I believe, still holds the record in the Noge Dojo for the fastest sprint. I believe they do like a 40-yard dash or something. But he has the far, fastest one in dojo history. Leo Rush is even quicker than he is. So I, these guys were just going a mile a minute here, and it, it was great. Leo hit three consecutive Tope Suicidas to the outside on Hiromu, who was just bouncing up and getting knocked back down again. Uh, Hiromu got his knees up on a big splash, but Leo has managed to uh, escape the time bomb that came from that. So he stayed in the match. Uh, Hiromu-chan bomber did connect. That's the big clothesline there. But a second one was turned into a Spanish fly at the 15-minute call. A frog splash was countered by Hiromu into a cutter. Don't see that one from Hiromu too often right there. Uh, Leo managed to hit a poison rana, then the rush hour, which is that bouncing stunner that he does off the ropes uh, that only he can really do. And then he hit the final hour frog splash. A lot of frog splashes in the tournament this year uh, for a win after headbutting Hiromu off of the turnbuckle. This was fantastic. And it sets up an interesting scenario here, Jeremy, where not only has Takahashi lost twice, but He's lost to Mike Bailey and Leo Rush, mm -hmm. which means he's got serious tiebreaker problems later in this mm -hmm. tournament. He very much does. If you look at that bracket, and we're uh, we're giving you the scores as they're going throughout this show, Hiromu uh, Takahashi is in a hole, and there is a lot of talent in that bracket that is that could knock him out real quick. And the champion, after dominating for years, getting knocked out in regular bracket play would be quite the story. Would. So we're going to move through Akita now. 762 fans here. That was uh, this morning's show. And uh, no record of any shows in this building, Jeremy, since 2017. Six years since there was a show in this building. Uh, but uh, a bit of a disappointing crowd, 762. But, you know, the business has its ups and downs. And it was a weeknight and things. And no Okada, Naito, Tanahashi on the card type of thing. But uh, nevertheless, they got a good show. Uh, Yo defeated Clark Connors. Clark is starting to show a real propensity to beat the living hell out of his opponents after the match, no matter what. This is another one where uh, he won with an O'Connor role. Yo did beat Clark Connors. And then uh, he made the terrible mistake of coming back to the ring to ask the referee to raise his hand, where he was attacked and beaten down with a chair, similar to Kevin Knight earlier in the tournament. So Connors showing that nasty side. And, and it's, that's if that's what it, this tournament, he's not going to win this tournament, I don't think. But if this what it establishes is that Connor is just a dangerous guy that might just go flying off the handle and injure somebody, yep. uh, that's a good story to tell. And it could have benefits down the road for that guy. So, yeah. I just think it's interesting that in every match, they're making a point to make Connor the focal point of the story. Teton then defeated Ryusuke Taguchi. Uh, he came close with the Dodon, but Teton got his submission in. Teton, a very quiet 3-1 and one in this tournament, uh, and uh, a pretty good match. Yeah. Better record than Hiromu. Uh, Better record. Best of, uh, oh, the next one, Robbie Eagles and Bushi. This was uh, pretty standard stuff here. He managed to get uh, Bushi with the knees there. So, uh, you know, Eagles is also rolling along at a fair clip. This is more the, his block there is the one that's more jumbled up. So you know, the other one has the haves and has nots. We saw TJP and Doki. Good match. Uh, TJP jump-started it by hitting a sliding drop kick as Doki was standing by the apron. Then he did a frog splash for a very quick two-count. Tried another splash, but he landed in the Doki Choki. So 
uh, some fun stuff back and forth there. Uh, later on, after escaping Suplex de la Luna, he managed to get the Mambo Splash for the win. So Doki is having good matches, just not getting the results quite yet. But I, I do feel like he's on the upswing there overall. Catch 2-2 being portrayed very strongly at this point in the tournament. That continued to the next one when Francesco Akira defeated Dan Maloney. Uh, this was the first interfaction match. They're both members of the United Empire in storyline here. Uh, so it, this was good. It was uh, quick. Uh, and, uh, you know, Akira just keeps having good match after good match. So eight minutes and 20 seconds. They didn't have a ton of time because there were a lot more matches to go. But, uh, you know, Akira very much in the mix. I really like the story in this that uh, the assumption with Dan Maloney was bigger, stronger, faster, and had his number, but Akira still beat him, and uh, that was the right call. And Brad uh, enjoyed this one as well. He thought Maloney looked his best in the match, and uh, yeah, he did, and that's no small uh, credit to Akira. Just 100%. The kind of tournament he's having. Very good stuff. And so Kushida defeated Mike Bailey now. Here we go. Bailey came into this one undefeated. Kushida came into this one winless, I believe, didn't he? Yeah. Spoiler alert. So Kushida the spoiler. Yeah, exactly. So this might be the beginning of the turnaround here. So Kushida tried to ground Bailey with uh, grappling because he's doing the jujitsu stuff. Bailey at nice spot there where he kicked uh, the post when aiming for Kushida. Kushida dodged his leg when they were fighting on the outside of the ring. He kicked the post, and of course that uh, damaged the the kicking leg there. Uh, Bailey worked the arm. Uh, well, more MMA stuff in this one uh, that Bailey is actually quite good at. Uh, a kick from Bailey in the ring teased a knockout. They teased a knockout with one of the Bailey's head kicks. And Bailey later, later hit the spinning kick in the corner, but he missed the ultimate weapon shooting star press. And Kushida got the heel hook and tapped him out. And so he had the damaged foot from kicking the post. Then he ended up in the heel hook, a little more than he could take. And again, the business decision came into play. So Kushida, first win, Bailey's first loss. And uh, yeah, Colin mentions that I hope he uh, wears shoes after today's ring post spot. That had to hurt. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but again, he's very precise. He didn't kick it that hard, even though he, he his leg was moving very quickly. This guy's got a lot of uh, excellent body control. 100% uh, Colin, the real deal. Colin also mentioned that he was a little bit surprised that uh, he lost this early in the tournament. But I think it's just kind of the bringing him back to the pack a little bit and then starting the push for Kushida, who I think is going to go on a win streak. Yeah, I think uh, Kushida was set up to fail, so he can succeed later on. There are going to be ebbs and flows in this tournament, and there's one bracket where there's a couple people that are rising out from the top, leaders of the pack, and then there's another one where there's like seven people all in the mix with each other. And so the the narratives and the stories, night four out of ten, we got a long ways to go and some twists and turns ahead of us. So that Kushida Bailey match is worth going out of your way to see. Yes. And so's the next one. El Desperado and Kevin Knight. Uh didn't go long, eight minutes and forty-two seconds, but boy, was this good. And you know, Knight is just so athletic and impressively athletic, where he hits that drop kick. He can jump up and take a guy off the top turnbuckle with a hurricane rana from a standing position. And uh, Desperado worked uh, through the numero dos several times to try to ground him, eventually hit Pinche Loco for the win. Kevin Knight is going to be a Big, big star, isn't he? Absolutely. He, he has so much potential, and I feel like we are not able to truly tap into how much like potential he has when we're talking about it on a show like this. We've compared him with Carmelo Hayes and the other guy uh, on NXT as like a comp, but there's just 
there's a lot there to look forward to. And uh, I'm glad that we're here early on and early adopters and Kevin Knight. As for the post match, uh, Desperado tapped on that tapped on that belt a little bit and uh, seemed to mm-hmm. indicate that there might be something there. Who would yeah. be his partner? That's the question, isn't it? He, he, he's in a faction that doesn't have a, a lot of people in it, so we're not sure. That but... should be a head scratcher. Interesting clash. Keep an eye out for that one. And then after that, we did have Hiromu Takahashi and Show. Now, okay, <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing. Uh, this was probably the most entertaining version of the shenanigans. But what they did was uh, Show attacked Hiromu in the interview area, post match comment area, uh, a couple of nights before, and uh, choked him with a wrench, beat him down, and kept repeating to the reporters, uh, "Hiromu Takahashi is unable to appear tonight." I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and uh, the winner by forfeit is Show. Said this, and apparently there was a swirly given to Hiromu in this whole thing that I didn't see. Thankfully, I didn't. I, I, if that happened, I didn't see it. So evil comes out. And just tells uh, Milano Collection AT to get up, and he takes the commentary spot. Then Show comes out in street clothes, and he has a fake letter, obviously fake letter, that he wants the ring announcer to read under the threat of violence. Ring announcer reads it. It says Hiromu's not coming. Show wins by forfeit. So they declare themselves the winner and start to walk up the aisle. When, of course, my God, that's Hiromu's music. And so that happens, and Hiromu comes out taped up like he has been taped to a chair and managed to escape the fire. (laughs) And and he comes out with his arms taped up, uh, manages to attack both men. The young lions help him get the tape off, although except for the piece that's in his hair, that couldn't have been pleasant to deal with. And, uh, yeah, so he manages to get out of this. There's seven minutes and 50 seconds. In that time, there is loads of interference. <laughs> but in the midst of it, Hiroma manages to get the wrench and act like show hit him. So he does the Eddie Guerrero thing there. Uh, everyone has to do a little bit of Eddie Guerrero in their match, apparently. That's the rules these days. Uh, he managed to get the wrench, hit evil with it, and then he hit the time bomb two, then time bomb one. Because, you know, screw show. He gets both finishers and pinned him right there. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was it there. And uh, so Hiromu Takahashi got a win over show. And uh, thankfully, he's uh, back on the up and up after some uh, early losses. But two and two, uh, Hiromu Takahashi at this stage. I would say don't think too hard about this match and move on. <laughs> Brad's wondering, was show's letter signed by Epstein's, Epstein's mom? Maybe it was. That was Deep that's cut for the old It is. <laughs> way back there. And... Uh, yeah, this and uh, Miguel Rubio, by the way, says this tournament is turning me into a big Kevin Knight fan. Love the guy. Yeah, so good. Very few guys have taken off this quickly. I mean, we saw it with Akira, though, didn't we? Where a guy just came in and just melted right into the scene as one of the top guys, and we're seeing it with Knight. So uh, good to know that the future is as bright as it is. After that, Master Wado defeated Yoshinobu Kanemaru, uh, and again, another match that would never have been a semifinal. This would have been the first or second match on the card a couple of years ago. Here it is as a semi. And uh, Recidimente, and then a spinning kick, hit the high-angle German for the win. And uh, it wasn't long, but it was pretty good, and uh, Wato is being treated with a little more respect this tournament. Yeah, that feels... Uh... At least from the booker, not the announcers, but the booker. Feels like an odd couple pairing of two people that wouldn't normally have a match with each other or have a reason to have a match with each other, and they mm-hmm. did, and it was fine. And there will be a time where they have a reason and a, and a better match with each other. But for a mid-level, mid of the mid of the mid of the mid of the tournament, <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> and it ended with Leo Rush and Taiji Ishimori. And I don't have to tell you to go out of your way to watch this match, do I? Really? I mean, this was a battle of undefeateds 
So it had a major implic it had major implications for the standings and two fantastic workers just and the first 15 minutes of this match again smooth as silk can't describe everything don't have time but really excellent work from both of these guys who just know how to do everything and play to each other's strengths beautifully uh, go and check it out it was very smooth very well worked crisp tight the whole thing that, uh, that finish had a real estate in my head <laughs> it was a, a rush hour uh, countered by uh, Ishimori getting the knees up. Leo kicked out of a reverse bloody Sunday, and then he went for the lung blower move, but that was countered into a DDT somehow. It's difficult to explain, but it's a way that probably no he one else would have used his own momentum of. almost like a Canadian destroyer, but he never hit the ground. And mm. Ishimori hit the ground, and then he proceeded to... How did he finish this guy off? He hit the he hit the rush he hit the rush hour, which is of course the bouncing cu uh, cutter. I guess it's more of a stunner, as he kind of lands sitting up. So he bounces into the ropes and hits the stunner. Then he hit a final a final hour frog splash for the win. That was just a work of art to hit. It was looked fantastic, and that was the pinfall. Sixteen minutes fifty six seconds felt like five minutes. The last minute literally defied the laws of physics. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Go to Reddit. Go find the last minute of this match if you have not seen it. It is fantastic. And Brad mentions that Leo got the Tanahashi treatment from the crowd post-match. Fans were giving him babies. That's true. That's literal, as a matter of fact. Uh, there's the uh, old phrase that they were so happy they were throwing babies in the air. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But Leo Rush gave his post-match speech uh, saying that this is all about the young people, this is all about the fans. And he pointed out a baby in the front row. A couple actually had two very young children there in the front row. And afterwards, Leo was baby-facing to the point he went out there, picked up the little baby, said it was beautiful. The the couple, the parents were just giddy with, uh, with that their uh, guy was uh, holding their child and hands it back to him. And, you know, it, was, it couldn't have been more of a baby face there in uh, both literal and figurative sense. So we are almost at the halfway point in here. We have Leo Rush with eight points, Taiji Ishimori with six, Mike Bailey with six points, Teton with six, TJP with four, Hiromu Takahashi with four, Sho with two, Doki with two, Koshida with two, and Ryusuke Taguchi with zero. That's in the A block. And then the B block, we got Errol Desperado with six we got robbie eagles with six we have court connor with four dan maloney with four francesco akira also four yoshinobu kanemaru four yo four master wado four kevin knight two and bushi zero so talk about that log jam one one minor correction here sorry the akira has six akira oh i apologize again. That's all right. Akira does have six. So again, we're the, every, almost everybody except Bushi within four points of each other. So that one can swing any direction between now and the two shows in Osaka next week. So we're going to go very quickly here into what's coming up. Shows almost every day on uh, tomorrow, uh, Thursday, Friday, and then we get Saturday off and then Sunday. And so some of the key matches here uh, uh, to, tomorrow in Sendai at uh, Miyagi, actually, uh, Rush uh, versus Doki. We're going to see uh, Kushida versus Ishimori and Yo versus Desperado. I'm going to have to go through these quick, Jeremy. Sorry. Uh, on the 18th, we have uh, Mike Bailey and Doki, uh, Kushida and Hiromu, Rush versus Titan, uh, Aomori on Saturday. This is going to be a good one here. Uh, Hiromu and TJP, Ishimori versus Mike Bailey that night. That'll be a lot of fun. And then on Sunday, back at Corican Hall, 
Uh, we don't have a full card for that one listed uh, necessarily, but we can probably put together a lot of it. We know that we're going to see Hiromu versus Taiji Ishimori, El Desperado versus Francesco Akira, and Leo Rush against TJP. That should be a hell of a show. And then, of course, on the 22nd and 23rd in Osaka, only one block is going each night. That's the only. That's one time when we will see the blocks separated there. And uh, by then, we will have an idea of who's mathematically in it and who's mathematically out of it. And we will talk about that, of course, heavily on the next show. On the 21st, we also have Resurgence. So that's going on on a Sunday as well. Two shows. So there's one at Corican Hall. And then at the Long Beach Walter Pyramid, we will have Resurgence. Let's go over this one real quick. As you can see on the, the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, we got the card. Uh, Pre-show matches, DKC against Bateman. Alex Coughlin against Christopher Daniels, the Fallen Angel. Bad Dude Tito and Zack Sabre Jr. against Virus and Barbaro Cavernario. There they go. And then we have a uh, street fight, Juice Robinson and Fred Rosser trying to settle their score that's been going on since Juice cost him the strong title. Speaking of the strong style, the strong title. <laughs> uh, ah. <laughs> yeah, there it goes. Hikuleo defending against former champion Kenta in a rematch. And then the six-man tag that we think is going to be very interesting and really just uh, chapter one of something that will continue on. Kazushi Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and Rocky Romero against John Moxley, Shota Umino, and Wheeler Yuta. Very curious to see how that all plays out. Also, the finals of the IWGP U.S. title contender tournament. Hiroshi Tanahashi will face Will Ospreay, and Ospreay, first match since injuring his shoulder, really, in, in quite a while for Will. And uh, we know Tanahashi is back with uh, from the rib injury. And then, of course, the NJPW Strong Women's Title Tournament. Mercedes Monet against Stephanie Vaquer, Willow Nightingale against Momo Kogo, and then the two winners will face each other to become the first Strong Women's Champion. And, Jeremy, there were, there were events in stardom that made me rethink this thing a little bit. Talk to me about it. There is a match coming up in stardom between the red belt champion, the world of stardom champion, Tam Nakano, that's the top title, and the wonder of stardom champion, that's the white belt held by Mina Shirakawa. They're going to wrestle each other, and it is title for title. And they are going to, they say, combine the titles. Now, Scott Edwards from the Five Star Joshi Show, who's forgotten more about women's wrestling than most people ever learn, uh, he thinks they might do a 30-minute time limit draw in this match. They do 30-minute time limits instead of one hour. Uh, and he doesn't, he's not sure they're going to combine them. But if they do, then this strong women's title tournament makes a little bit more sense to me. We wondered why this belt even existed. Okay. If they're going to combine the red and white belts and then have the IWGP women's title as sort of another important championship. So instead of white and red, you have a dual champion for a while. Well, then you need another singles title for people to fight over. If they bring the IWGP title home with Mayu Iwatani, you have that. Then you can do the strong women's title, and that one would be the one that stays stateside more. Maybe Are they uh, merging the titles or... Or just person is going to hold both titles. Double champion is what it sounds like out of this. And like and like I said, Scott Scott thinks they might also do a thirty minute draw, and they aren't combined at all on this one. But I I, I do think now that Monet is just going to win this belt, and this is going to be the one that Monet carries around. That's just my little thing. There, so I don't I don't doubt it. Uh, I do think it will come down to Monet and Nightingale. But after Nightingale kind of lost and was forgotten in that uh, in an AEW post match angle with the 
the outcast or whatever you want to, I think it's the outcast. It just said to me, it's like, if this person was meant to have a big upcoming month, this is not the way that they would be programmed to be shown in, in a, in a scenario. And it could be a scenario where she's close and not quite enough, but uh, the more that we get closer to it, the more that the logic just says, you know, you want, you want credibility on this title, put it on Monet. And uh, Colin also believes they shouldn't combine the red and white belts. He would hate that. Yeah, it, it doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense to me either. So maybe they'll just do the 30-minute draw. Make sure you listen, by the way, to the five-star Joshi show. With Scott Edwards, they will keep you uh, very well filled in. When are we uh, going to find out how that when that plays out? That's in late May. Uh, that's in late May there, that match. I, I don't have an exact date in front so of me. So after resurgence? Uh, no, no, it'll be. Yes, oh, excuse me. Yes, yes, it will be after resurgence before okay. Dominion. Okay. Sorry, I'm getting all so many shows. Chris so, Cross. yeah. And so uh, I'm assuming that Will Ospreay is going to be Hiroshi Tanahashi and yes. just trigger this whole thing with Kenny Omega and the rematch somewhere, uh, whether it's at uh, Forbidden Door 2, whether it's at Wembley Stadium, something with Kenny Omega in there uh, with Will and Kenny. That's, uh, that's what I'm thinking. And like I said, I, I feel like that six-man match is uh, – just to say, it doesn't really matter who wins and who loses that one. The question is what the angle is to get it to Dominion, in my opinion. I I said it before, and I feel like we are we are rapidly getting to a point where some of those Blackpool Combat Club guys are going to be uh, in New Japan for some chunk of this summer. And that's going to be interesting with AEW having two shows of programming now with uh, Collision and Dynamite that are going to require a lot of top star talent. But I kind of think that, you know, there is a reason that you are getting Moxley involved in May out yeah. of nowhere. And Omega is making comments about Okada. And Okada is not in the main event scene of New Japan. And Will Ospreay is suddenly everywhere. And he's been announced for all in at Wembley before the even members of the AEW roster know that they <laughs> are going to be on uh, all in on Wembley. All the big players, all of their stuff has all been figured out and they all have their blueprints laid out. We are just in a position of waiting to see exactly what that is. And it's kind of exciting. I'm very curious to see how this collision show affects things with New Japan, the ripple effects. And the reason I say that is AEW had an issue where they had so many people on the roster that weren't getting on television that they mm -hmm. were, you know, putting them on dark and they were putting them on rampage. And, and some guys were even having trouble getting on dark elevation and they were paying only a lot of people to sit around or have matches that basically nobody was watching. Although, I mean, those YouTube shows had a little bit of a following. Now they have the ring of honor mm -hmm. idea. They're going to have two more hours of national television with collision. They're going to have more money. We don't know how much, uh, what Warner Brothers paying them. No one does. If anyone tells you they do know, they're they're making something up. More so money far. than they have now. More money than they have now. And more programming than they have now. More hours of programming. More synergy. Perhaps. And it also matches the streaming. But it also means that foreign wrestlers are going to be in more demand than ever. And I'm very curious to see how that lines up with, you know, are AEW going to, is AEW going to be taking more guys? Is there going to be more stuff like what we saw with Jay White, where he's going to be mostly AEW and then maybe, some, maybe some stuff with new Japan. Like, you know, is it going to be more of a challenge for new Japan to keep 
foreign talent because AEW is going to come knocking. And if AEW continues to come knocking, you know WWE is because they can't help themselves. So with that in mind, will it be more of a challenge uh, to keep good foreign talent? Uh, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Don't know. I don't think it yet. will be. I think I think that there's still a boutique aspect of New Japan where if you want to hone your craft and you want to be like you you want to be with the best doing the best like New Japan product is cultivated towards a delivery of that kind of wrestling. With AEW and WWE, you are still catering to uh, a more generalized audience that is that is used to something different with their wrestling than what. The, the Japanese product is giving. So it's the ebb and flow and it's, and it's the tide changing of the talent. There is going to be talent in new Japan that is going to see the money signs and end up going to AEW. But at the same time, we're talking about guys like Kevin Knight and Francisco Akira and Clark Connors and this whole new generation of people that may end up staying with new Japan for a considerable amount of time. Or they go somewhere else and then somebody else comes in. But the business model for New Japan has me pretty confident that even if these top stars go, that they will be able to fill the gap somewhere. I got to think Kevin Knight's going to be getting a lot of offers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, then they're probably stateside too. He might be a tough one to keep. But uh, yeah, and one other just note right here from a little bit of a critique for Leo Rush. We've been praising him. But uh, did you hear the female scream Leo's name all the way through the show? It was kind of off-putting. Yeah, they and uh, he said also Leo's got to stop screaming. So yeah, they, you know, they're, it's it's a it's a it's a vocal thing. Uh, it's a very vocal thing for Leo right now. I uh I am having a really good time in New Japan right now. I oh, yeah. I'm super excited for Dominion. Um, even though it, it feels like it is the bottom of a list and a lot of shows that feel very important right now. They it it's it's three weeks away, but it feels like it's two months away with the with the amount of wrestling on the slate. We got resurgence. We got the rest of the best of the Super Junior Tournament. I'm going to Double or Nothing in Vegas, and that weekend I'm going to have to watch Night of Champion. The finals of the best of the Super Juniors is the Saturday night, Sunday morning of Double or Nothing. And so it's just a whole deal. And then we're going to come back here. We're not going to skip a beat. We're going to talk that Tuesday about all of it, and it's going to be nuts, man. It's going to be wild. Uh, some other news and notes, by the way. Speaking of Dominion. The main eventer of Dominion, Yota Suji, who is, of course, coming back from Excursion, just finished his up in uh, CMLL. He challenged Gran Guerrero for the CMLL Traditional Heavyweight Championship. Uh, he put over Gran Guerrero on the way out. So we were wondering if it was going to be a belt collector scenario or if it was just him finishing up. And it looks like they decided to finish up Yota Suji by uh, having him put over the heavyweight champion in the main event at Marina, Arena Mexico. So again, uh, certainly CMLL thought very highly of him and put him in a big spot. And uh, he did uh, he did the job on the way out, as is uh, wrestling tradition. And he is headed back to New Japan after having main evented one of the most important buildings in all of wrestling. So, again, so very much looking go home. Yeah, it looks like it. it looks like that's the end of it here. And as he comes back uh, full time to New Japan, uh, which uh, may not bode very well for Sonata's uh, IWGP World Heavyweight title reign. What a great juking move by New Japan. They have him like hanging out in RevPro for like a year and a half. 
and then they start doing these videos, and at the same time, they send him over to Mexico so to throw everybody off the scent that it couldn't be this guy. He just went over to this new promotion over in Mexico, and then it is they put him in the main event. He gets uh, he gets the whole tour of what he needs to over there, and then he's put in the main event here for the second biggest show in New Japan. The opposite of the Doki. <laughs> the opposite of the Doki. Yeah, he's he's definitely fast track. But when you get a look at him, I think we see why exactly. Absolutely. Uh, one other thing I wanted to note, uh, just because I always I, I'm not going to do a full history segment and things, but wanted to note one thing that May is the May specifically is the 40th anniversary of IWGP as a concept. So uh, in uh, May of 1983 is when they had the first International Wrestling Grand Prix tournament. There is another show on the Fight Game Media Network called Write This Down with Fumi Saito and Justin Nipper. And I recommend anybody that's interested in Japanese wrestling, check that out. They recently had a history of uh, the major titles uh, in Japan and also things like the WWE title in Japan. A lot of great stuff. They mentioned that Antonio Noki had the idea of the IWGP becoming an alternative world heavyweight title. And gathering up promotions that weren't part of the NWA or weren't part of the WWF and maybe establishing this thing. And that never really came about the way the IWGP did come about was in the form of what we would consider now a G1 type of a tournament. And it was in May of 1983, 40 years ago when that tournament took place. And so it was called the international wrestling Grand Prix. The first one was won by Hulk Hogan who uh, clubbed, uh, Antonio Inoki, as Inoki was on the ring apron, Inoki's splatter took a terrific uh, fall to the uh, floor and was counted out. And Hogan beat him and won the first IWGP. They did a whole thing with uh, bringing an ambulance into the sumo hall for Inoki. And it got over. Uh, Hogan was already over. He was already the number one babyface in the AWA at the time. He became a monstrous star in Japan. They put him over in the IWGP. And of course, at first, the IWGP was not a belt to be defended. It was just a tournament. And it wasn't until 1987 that they made it the uh, top uh, singles belt in uh, New Japan, something to be defended after winning it. So, uh, yeah, 40th anniversary of uh, IWGP as a concept. And now, of course, it's the, uh, the calling card. The IWGP is the tag team title, the junior heavyweight title, the heavyweight title, all of these things. So uh, just a little note there for uh, history, 40 years of uh, the International Wrestling Grand Prix. I got a little bit of housekeeping for you. Please. Episode 46 of Speaking of Strong Style. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> some of you may not know that for the first few episodes, we were bi-weekly. What were we thinking? So that means our first episode was May 17th, 2022. How about congratulations, it? Stephen Conway? We have done this for one year. Been doing the show for a year. How about so that? So you're speaking of the anniversary, speaking of strong style. We survived a year with each other. We survived a year. We survived a year, and we survived this show because we managed I'm to get fun. all of that stuff in there. It was come that, a long that, way. Come yeah, a long way. <laughs> yeah. I, I needed to get my cardio in for this one. This was a lot of talking <laughs> in a short space. We and we're going to be doing this again next week. We'll try to get everything a little tighter there and and make sure we talk about the matches and the important ones. We hope we pointed out the ones to chase down. And uh, Brad saying congratulations to us. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. And. You know, again, you guys are the reasons we do this, and uh, we appreciate that you guys take your time out of your week to sit in with us live here. And if you download the show later and watch it later, we appreciate you as well. Uh, it's really been 
a wonderful experience for me. And a big part of it is the interaction we've had with uh, people here on social media and everything else. It's just been uh, overwhelmingly positive. Thank you this so much audience, for that. This audience and other important people listen to what we have to say. And, and I love it. Yeah, it's it's been a great experience, and 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 to all of you guys, uh, thank you so much for it. It's it's made uh, it's made my life better. It's made Jeremy's a lot better. This is a really fun part of my week, uh, putting the show together and doing it here for you guys. So thanks. Glad thank you guys. It. Glad glad there's an audience for us to bullshit for ninety minutes uh, every week. Yeah. Oh, here we go. And Miguel is saying, I want you to know that we're live, pal. And speaking of strong style, become a big part of my Tuesdays. Thank you, Miguel. Uh, that's that's really a great compliment. And uh, and we, we really do appreciate it. So thank you. So. All right. Anything, Jeremy, before we wrap this one up and we go lay down for a while after watching all this wrestling and talking about it. Uh, I am Doug. Speaking of strong style, you can find me at <laughs> Jer Finestone at Twitter. Sometimes what I have to say is important, but most of the time it isn't. What about you? <laughs> All right, I'm at Stephen Conway 88 at Twitter, ringsidereplay.com. Next week, more of the best of the Super Juniors, setting up the finals. We'll be talking about resurgence. So many things going on in wrestling right now. It's such an exciting time. We'll be here to go over all of it with you. So until then, we will see you very soon. Thanks for watching Speaking of Strong Style.